This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. For most reporters, there's always one story that stays with them. Searching for the answers in an unsolved murder or missing persons case is what motivates the most intrepid of reporters. And when those crimes are never solved, when there's no ending to the stories they reported on, the open-endedness can haunt them for years. For Christina Corbin, a veteran reporter and producer with the investigative unit at Fox News Channel, the one case that she has never been able to let go of, the one case that she just can't shake, is the one surrounding the murders on Long Island of the Gilgo Four and Shannon Gilbert. In this bonus episode of Grim Tide, Hunting the Long Island Serial Killer, Christina and I sit down and talk reporter to reporter. We discuss how she's been chasing this story for over the past decade, as well as her personal thoughts and experiences while searching for answers as to why the victims met a tragic end to their lives. This is room Tom. Over the years, Corbin's specialty has been reporting on missing persons and cold cases, getting scoops on the types of crimes that can go unsolved for years, if not decades. And she has been reporting on the Long Island serial killer case since December of 2010 and is one of the producers of this series. How long have you been working at Fox News? I've been working at Fox News since 2005. I started on the overnight assignment desk as a desk assistant, Mm -hmm. working 11 p.m. to 8 a.m., which was brutal. So we're going on 16 years. So you're on the overnight desk. When the first reports come in and you hear about this and you're thinking Mm -hmm. about this area that you know very well, Mm -hmm. uh, what happens next? Are you making calls? Are you talking to police? Mm -hmm. You're watching news conferences. What happens? So I started on the assignment desk in 2005, but by 2010, I had been promoted to general assignment reporter for foxnews.com. And my beat was crime and breaking news. So when those initial reports came through that four women were found out in Gilgo Beach, I was on the phone with the Suffolk County Police Department. I had calls in with the FBI, New York Bureau. I was calling the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office. I was basically casting a wide net to any and all agencies that might be able to provide more details about who these victims were and did they have a suspect in custody. You know, this case has been covered in secrecy, and there's a lot of mystery still to this day. Yeah, so I remember that basically every local station in the New York tri-state area descended upon Long Island, Gilgo Beach. Uh, I stayed at my desk in New York, and I was watching remotely the press conferences as they were happening around the clock, and I was basically writing out all of the breaking news for foxnews.com and stuff as well for the channel that we could report very quickly on the air about any updates that we had. And I remember there wasn't really much that came out initially. We knew they were we knew they were women. I think we quickly learned they were escorts. They were in the sex work industry. 
we learned that the women found out Gilgo were all in their 20s. They were all petite. They were all white. And they all had been missing prior to being found there on the beach. They had been reported missing for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Once the identities started becoming known, mm-hmm. were you able to talk to families? It was really hard, I think. It's always hard calling a victim's family from your desk in New York as sort of this like faceless reporter. But I remember getting through to a couple of the victim's family members and, you know, it's very difficult because many of them are grieving and they can't accept the fact that their loved one is gone. So my contact with the families initially was really just to say how sorry I was about the news and to just establish a rapport that would be valuable later on down the road once the case started getting cold, for lack of a better word, to be able to have that relationship with them where I could call them pretty openly and easily Mm -hmm. and have a conversation. It is a really strange part of this job, right, Mm -hmm. to make those phone calls. And I have found that it is. You either get people who don't want to talk and Mm -hmm. who are grieving so terribly Mm -hmm. that they just cannot take a call, or you sometimes will get somebody who it's their therapy Mm -hmm. to talk to you, to To be able to to open up and say, listen, I need help. And here we are 10 years later, Mm -hmm. and those families are still looking for help. Exactly. What was a real head scratcher with this case is that Shannon Gilbert disappeared in May of 2010, and a missing persons report was filed for Shannon. And in December of 2010, an officer with the Suffolk County Police Department, John Malia, was out in the Oak Beach area walking his dog, a German Shepherd puppy named Blue. And they stumbled upon the first set of human remains at Gilgo Beach. And everybody thought, well, that must be Shannon. But it wasn't. And then the next set, and the next set, not Shannon. So everybody was sort of really scratching their heads Well, they were out there looking for Shannon, but they uncover a mass grave of other women. And so the interest in this story on a national level was huge. It really was. It had had a lot of national appeal because you had this beautiful backdrop of Long Island along a deserted stretch of Ocean Parkway with all these women who were all murdered at different times. So really, people from all over the country were very interested in this in this story, and it got a lot of national attention in the beginning. Then what happened? Did the national attention go away? Has it been ebbing and flowing in your experience? Because here we are now, over 10 yeah. years later, trying to find some answers. And it's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. I, I talked to many people about this, that whoever you talk to about this case, it seems like somebody goes, oh, the cop did it, right? Or mm-hmm. the, the, there was that doctor. It's it solved. Mm-hmm. And some people are surprised to know this is still an open case. This is an open mystery. All these women are dead mm-hmm. and there are still no answers today. That's a really good question because I think interest began to drop when it was very clear that the Suffolk County Police Department did not have a person of interest or a suspect that they were willing to name publicly. In fact, no one has ever been named publicly as a suspect or person of interest. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a reporter, Corbin was intrigued by Shannon Gilbert's disappearance. But as the bodies of the Gilgo Four were found along the coastline of Long Island's South Shore, she soon realized that the story was much bigger and that a serial killer had been targeting sex workers. She recalls her first thoughts at the time when the discoveries were made public. Do people that you have talked to in law enforcement believe that the killer is still alive? Everybody I've talked to in law enforcement believes the killer is still alive. I've not heard anybody say they believe he's dead. But of course you can't rule that out. Right. I should add also that this was not the first story of its kind that I covered. In 2006, there were, I think, six women found behind a motel in Atlantic City. They were all sex workers and they were all, they were all strangled. And I covered that story for, as a reporter for foxnews.com. When this happened, when these bodies were discovered in 2010, I remember they were looking to see if there was connection between mm-hmm. Atlantic City and Long Island, and they could not find one. So sadly, this was not the first time I was covering a story where mm-hmm. sex workers had been targeted. That case has never been solved. Then how do they know there's no connection? Because they haven't been able to find one. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there isn't one. But I will say, and you know, that sex workers have long been vulnerable and prey for people who want to harm women. Mm-hmm. They find themselves in intimate settings with strangers. They're often estranged from their families, so no one is actively out searching for them. They're transient. They can be in one city for a few months and then another city. Mm. And evil people who commit these acts, they know that. So prostitutes, when you look at crimes spanning decades back, Mm -hmm. prostitutes are often victims of violent crime by very sick, depraved, sadistic individuals who know or think that they can get away with it. They're easy prey, but they're also somebody's daughter, often a sister, Mm -hmm. always a friend, and somebody who's loved and missed. And now all these families still today don't have answers. That's right. And it feels like you want to you want to say what is happening. You know, we have said that as we've been covering this case. Where is the investigative, you know, wheel that is turning for these women? Is it is it how hard is it turning behind closed doors? You know, they're not sharing mm-hmm. with us mm-hmm. what's going on. Right. We don't know what we don't know. I really believe that law enforcement has evidence that we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if they had their eye on a person, mm-hmm. if they had a few persons of interest. But I, I do believe that they are working with information and evidence that we simply don't know about. And I'm glad you brought that point up about these women being sisters and daughters, because over the years, I cannot tell you how many people have asked me, why do you care so much about this story? When are you just going to drop it? And there are many people in this society who feel that sex workers got what they deserved. Mm -hmm. They don't have compassion for people in this line of work. And that is a very uncomfortable truth, but it is the truth. And the way I feel is that all of these women were somebody's daughter, somebody's Mm -hmm. baby. They were sisters, many of them were mothers, and their lives are worth just as much as mine Mm -hmm. and yours. Mm -hmm. 
and also the thought that there is a man out there, man or men, woman maybe, who's going around living in this world, going about his business, enjoying all the things that we're enjoying in life, and he has not been brought to justice. And that has been a driving force for me in this case. I will never stop reporting on it until they make an arrest. Shannon Gilbert, finally laid to rest after nearly five years. Christina recalls how she was in attendance for Shannon's funeral in March of 2015 and the wave of emotions she felt that day. I remember attending Shannon's funeral at a cemetery in Amityville, Long Island, and it was very sad. I, it was the first time that I was meeting Mari Gilbert and Shannon's sisters. Her mother thanked me for all my work mm-hmm. on the case and for helping to get that autopsy with Dr. Bodden. But I just have this image in my brain of Mari kneeling next to the casket and very emotional. It was also surreal because we were at a cemetery for burial and there were reporters from other networks and from other newspapers walking around. So that was uh, rather surreal. It was very difficult meeting the family. It really was. But they finally had an answer or, or more clarity sort of on Shannon's death and they were able to lay her to rest. Six years later, and Christina is still pursuing this case, working with myself and the Fox News investigative unit on the series, chasing down the latest developments, even if it angers those who would rather leave the case in the past. She recalls a recent encounter from earlier this year where we returned to Oak Beach with Gilbert family attorney John Ray. So that was 2010. Let's talk about 2021. Hmm. I want to talk about what happened with you, about us going into that neighborhood. Yeah. I've covered a lot of stories of murder victims. I have never had that experience happen to me where we were made to feel like we had done something wrong by entering in this community Mm -hmm. to cover a cold case story about a woman's death. And we were asked to leave. We were not asked to leave. We were told to leave. Police were called, police voices were, called, were raised. And I was, it was crazy. I was threatened with an arrest by, yeah. not the police officer, but by some of the residents who wanted to press trespassing charges right. against us. I understand private property is private property, but let's take a step back for a second and realize that we are a news crew coming in there to take a fresh look at a cold case involving a serial killer. And... I understand that, you know, it's a private community, but at the end of the day, you know, the media is so important in keeping mm-hmm. a story like this alive and in helping the police solve it. Right. And to be met with such animosity um, and hostility is something that I've never experienced before. Now, you and I have done this a couple of times in a couple of different ways, covering crime through mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. I've had people come out and yell at me just from the home that we were visiting, saying, you got to go, we're going to call mm-hmm. the police, all mm-hmm. of that. But this truly was like a gang situation. We were, we were surrounded. Mm-hmm. We had people from mm-hmm. all sides. Mm-hmm. We had not only hostility, but, I mean, people were, that woman that we spoke to was shaking. Mm-hmm. And the police did show up, but we were invited. We had permission to be there. 
And I just wanted to you know, talk about it because it mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. Uh, such a, a wild moment mm-hmm. during the coverage of this case. It, it sure was. We were standing there and one of the residents turned to John Ray right in front of me and she said, when are you going to let this go? When are you going to drop this? Mm-hmm. And that right there illustrates to me such a lack of compassion mm-hmm. for the victims and for all of the people affected by these Well, they crimes. didn't want us there filming their lawns, their front doors, their street. And what I found striking was when you and I took that walk from Joseph Brewer's house to Gus Coletti's house and went over to where you know Peter Hackett Street is. Mm-hmm. And, and to be there in the community, it's so important for us mm-hmm. covering the story to talk about and show our viewers mm-hmm. um, and our listeners what it, how far those homes were apart. That was the most striking part of that day for mm-hmm. me was, you know, I've been talking about it and covering it not as long as you, but mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I, you know, to see mm-hmm. the distance that she ran oh, yeah. that night in the dark. Yeah. Is yeah. Amazing. That was remarkable. I walked away from there even really questioning the police theory that she just ran into that marsh. Because if you look at the route that she took, she runs down Fairway Lane and she's near the gate and she could enter the marsh right there if she wanted to. But instead, she makes a right and she runs down that long road to Barbara Brennan's home. Mm -hmm. We know she was at Barbara Brennan's home because she knocked on Barbara Brennan's door and Barbara Brennan saw her. And called the police. And called the police. So then you mean to tell me that at that that Mm T, she then decides, okay, let me go into the marsh? It doesn't make much sense. But then people will argue that she was out of her mind. Right. And that she was on drugs and drugs will make you do things that are out of your mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll note, though, that there Shannon had no known medical condition. She didn't have a heart problem. She wasn't diabetic. She didn't have any kind of Ill- underlying illness, a physical illness. So for a healthy 24 year old woman to end up dead in the middle of a secluded marsh is mm-hmm. really pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I think that whatever you think of John Ray, that man truly cares. Yeah. And he wants justice. He wants answers. And I admire his tenacity. Whatever you think of John Ray's theories. He does. And he cares about the family as a whole and not just Mari, right. who is no longer with us, right. but for her sister. His heart is in the right place. And he really cares about the Gilbert family. There's a Netflix movie. There's a couple of documentaries out there mm-hmm. um, about this case, mm-hmm. and people are taking a look at it. But a lot of people didn't realize that Shannon Gilbert's mother was murdered by one of her children. Yeah, the Gilberts, it's a real tragedy what has happened to the Gilbert family. Shannon is found, and then uh, a few years later, her sister, Sarah, who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, attacked Mary Gilbert and killed Mary Gilbert. And it's my understanding that Sarah was traumatized and really affected by her sister's death and sort of went into this downward spiral Mm -hmm. where she became psychotic and one day killed her mother. Now, you had been talking to the mother, Mari. You had known the family. What was your reaction when you heard that she had been killed? I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. Do you remember remember, where you were? Who called you? I I remember I was on a hike with my dad in upstate New York when I think it was someone from Fox who called me to tell me. And I couldn't believe it. 
And I thought to myself, how much more pain and suffering does his family have to endure? And what a tragedy, what an incredible tragedy. And mental illness is so tragic. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, Sarah had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and that she was sort of in this downward spiral ever since her sister passed away and then, you know, is not in touch with reality and then kills her mother. It was just an unbelievable tragedy. Despite suspects never being named publicly by investigators over the last 11 years, Corbin believes that this case is close to being solved and intends to continue reporting on this story until the killer is brought to justice. There is no such thing as the perfect crime. There isn't. Mm -hmm. And it might be, you know, something you or I might consider trivial might just be the thing they need to crack this case. I think DNA and phone data are critical mm -hmm. parts of solving this. And they may very well have a suspect. They may very well have a person of interest that they're just not talking about. And they're watching this person or persons very closely to maybe get that one more piece of evidence that they need right. to crack this case. Because they need to have something rock solid. If you jump the gun, you can ruin everything. That's right. Exactly. So. They may have a lot on somebody that they don't have enough to arrest that person. And they may just be waiting for the right thing to come along where they have it. We don't know. But I really believe in my heart of hearts that I will see this case solved. I really, truly do. I know I will never stop covering it until there is an answer. For me, this is not work. It's not just any right. assignment. I've invested so much of my time in this story and I want to see it through to the end. I'm Laura Ingle, and this has been Grim Tide, Hunting the Long Island Serial Killer. On our next episode, we sit down with the investigator known for solving another well-known cold case, the Golden State Killer. Paul Holes will tell us about how he found the crucial piece of DNA that helped bring in the infamous serial killer after decades, and how those same methods can be used to track down the Long Island serial killer. Thanks for listening. Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.